0: Hey guys, what's up? It's Zemet here with Cartel Aristocrats cast number 32. We have another guest on. It's actually his third time on the cast in a pretty short time.
1: If you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, what's up, guys? I am Ed. I'm the buyer at Crowin's Game Store. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Edwin13.
0: And as usual, we have the Motley crew. if you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourself and how you guys have been doing since I flaked on you guys last week and
2: didn't record the cast. Uh, I'm Douglas Johnson, uh, everybody calls me DJ. Uh, it's been two weeks, maybe three, two weeks, at least two weeks since I've been on because I was un- unable to be here because of grad school commitments, so I'm back, I write for QS, my articles come out every Thursday, I'm usually on Brainstorm Brewery every Friday, the usual. I got a stack of magic cards here that I'm gonna sort during the podcast.
3: Yeah, that's what that's what I'm doing too. Uh I'm actually pretty surprised, Jeremy. I'm glad that you owned up to your mistake and didn't try to like deflect it on all the rest of us because I feel like that's a thing you would do. It's, uh it's not every
0: day that this guy comes in and he goes, Hey, I have every card from Modern, four to six of every card, and a lot of foils, and I'd like to sell them to you 30 minutes before the cast starts. And I'm like, okay, guys, this will be easy. And then he just kept bringing boxes, and we kept finding damage fetches and like his back. So it was, it was a good time. But yeah, totally my fault, guys. Sorry for the
3: listeners. We didn't have a cast last week. But go ahead. Well, we could have done it on Tuesday, but you were too busy with your humble brags to do that. I also just want to address that we could have done it without Jeremy.
2: It's just the rest of us are too lazy to like do the work. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Time out!
3: Don't. Don't give away our secrets. Don't give away our secrets. <laughs> I mean, none the rest um, of us want to like do that. I do so
4: much work for Fats Finance that I don't really feel like doing it for this one too. That's
2: fair.
3: Uh, I don't want to do work. I do too much work at work. Uh, anyway, my name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Twitter at phrost underscore, and I retweet my articles. So you could just probably find those there too. Uh, I'm Travis
4: Allen. I'm on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I I write for MTG Price probably every Monday for the foreseeable future, and I do uh, MTG Fast Finance, the podcast.
0: I'm Zemet. Find me in Missouri. Find me on Twitter at Magic or my YouTube channel, which you're probably watching. Um, Eternal Masters, magic is ruined forever. Uh, Distributors are selling to us at, like, 140. Everyone online is selling them for 200 to 220. Single prices are going down across the board. We have treasure chest in real life. What saving grace is there to magic now?
4: It's talking to you, Doug. Idiot commander sweet
2: Idiot Commander's suite. Uh like I, I'm just kind of smirking because I can't wait till you hear the brainstorm breed that comes out this week, but like I'm not gonna spoil it for you. It's got a the street just for you. Um I'm assuming Corbin's going to have
0: a really good reasoning see like here's the thing corbin researches and he has evidence to back it up i just like getting views with the clickbait titles
2: no
4: What's i understand it? that like
0: you know we uh, had somebody
4: complain a couple weeks ago that you were too negative you, in fact didn't you read that review out loud to us that i was too negative yeah the have you is... the reviews on you well no I'm, say... i don't bother to read reviews i just remembered someone saying that like the whole magic is ruined forever thing was getting tiring <laughs> it's All <right>. definitely
2: you. <laughs>
0: yep, let's put it this way. Game shops are being thrown a bone by wizards because it's not easy to have a game shop. And they're wow. reprinting everything like crazy, yeah. which makes selling singles way easier when singles are cheaper.
2: So it mean, it's it's the old, like, easier to sell at, like, four doubling seasons at $12 than it is to sell one at $50. Like, mm-hmm. reprints are fine. And then, like, if you want to engage in long-term specs, there's a whole pile of cards that you can buy that are really, really hard to reprint and that are basically, like... Implicitly on the reserve list, like Restore Balance, center Elf, like all these weird obscure cards that like you can pick. Just oh, this isn't going to be in a commander set, so I guess I'll just buy a bunch and wait two years, and then it'll be like triple the price. So like long term specs aren't dead. Magic isn't dead. Uh, stores get more money from booster boxes. Bulk is still fine, et cetera.
4: Magic's not dead. I just wish I were.
2: <laughs> wow. So Ed, you went
4: to Amsterdam
0: this weekend. How was your experience with uh, uh
1: I went there by myself, so I wasn't actually, I didn't have a booth or anything. Um, I just go over there to Europe every few months. I just try and keep pulse on what's going on and how markets differ over there. Um, one thing I did notice is that a lot of, ven- a lot of vendors are less willing to buy bulk. Um, there was one vendor that was paying $0.10, cents and everyone else was pretty much paying $0.05 cents on bulk rares. Um Other than that, you have the usual uh, culprits, cards that do super well over here. Um, Sorry. There are the the usual culprits of cards that do well over here um, that I can buy in large quantities over there, and then vice versa. So, otherwise, it was pretty uneventful otherwise. Um, For the most part, vendors have been telling me that Kaladesh has been selling pretty well for them. Lots of... Vendors have been unable to keep the Staples and stock, Torrential Gear Hulks, uh, Smugglers, Coppers, all those cards. So vendors were definitely trying to pick them up in large quantities. Um, A lot of them also said that they've also seen a surge in Standard. So Shadows and uh, Eldritch Moon cards have actually seen a creep in price, mainly because a lot of vendors can't keep them in stock. Uh, So a lot of vendors were trying to pick up... uh, things like Archangel Avacyns, uh, Grim Flayers, and McCool's across the board.
4: Did they attribute the growth in Standard demand to anything in particular?
1: Uh, they didn't really say, I guess. This, it just seems to be kind of a recurring theme for them. I guess they said that when Standard is the most interesting, they said they had kind of a similar surge when Battle uh, first came out last year as well. So I imagine this is just kind of a routine seasonal thing.
2: Wait, uh, oh, sorry, my mic is muted. Do you think the difference in bulk price is just a cultural shift, like a European thing? Or is it, like, uh, a, do you think that's just, like, uh, going to transfer over to North America, too? Because, like, Star City still pays $0.10 cents flat on bulk rares, and that's sort of my got, uh, guiding baseline as to what I pay for bulk rares. Like, if Star City dropped their bulk rare price, I'd probably drop mine.
1: Uh, at Grand Prix, it's harder and harder to find vendors that will pay $0.10. Cents. Um, for the most part... Uh, if people ask me, will I take bulk rares? I generally no-sir them on Friday and Saturday, and then by the time Sunday rolls around, if I have space to take back and I'm feeling ambitious, then I will say yes. But for the most part, it just weighs way too much to uh, to fly back, and the the real estate is just much more valuable. Trying to buy cards actually have value.
2: So it's more of just like the travel cost in terms of GPS, and you don't think it's like affecting the the overall price of bulk, like universally.
1: It's probably not, but I do feel like a lot of vendors are kind of getting to a point where, okay, now we have a lot of bulk building up. What's ultimately out to it? Like, yeah, you can still do the fulfillment by Amazon uh, instant collections. You can still do the uh, repacks in store, but at some point there's going to be an upper limit to how many of those you can sell. And right. and bulk, obviously it comes in at a much, much, much faster rate than you can realistically get, get out of. So I imagine we'll slowly start seeing vendors just kind of tune back how much bulk they're willing to take in that time.
0: Okay. If you know people at the GP circuit, though, like uh, one of the guys that follows our cast that actually just wrote an article, Matt uh, Nass or something on Twitter. I No, not Matt Nass. It's Matt something. Uh, he just wrote an article. His Twitter, Twitter handle
2: Twitter is lewd Financer. That's easier easier way to find him instead of Jeremy butchering his name.
0: Yeah, uh, I know his name's Matt. Uh, he brought a bunch of bulk to Dallas, which he had written about yesterday, even though the GP was two weeks ago where Ed was. And I was in Dallas for like five whole hours, nothing crazy, just to drop off some stuff. And um, I had like three or four different vendors text me saying, hey, there's people shopping around bulkers, do you want to buy them? And I almost said yes, but now I'm glad I didn't, because that guy knows how to pick bulk. But anyway, the moral of the story is, if you know vendors... And they don't want to take bulk, you can set up a relationship where you pay one whole cent more than they do or something, and it still won't hurt your margins, especially if you're a backpack grinder. So. Because I know Corbin finally lost his out for like the bulk guy. I think he was telling us about that, or he was talking about it on Brainstorm Brewery. But yeah, he
2: no longer gets like quarters on bulk rares. Which that was that was insane from the start. That that couldn't have lasted forever.
0: Yeah. I mean I get 10 per K on bulk commons, but like a quarter on bulk rares is even more insane. So,
2: yep. Do you get 10 percent K on bulk commons and uncommons, or is it just you? It,
0: it can be just commons. What? So that's why we did the whole, oh, 18 crashes in Kentucky and Bashard gets pissed off thing. That stuff's already been gone for a while. But,
2: yep. You should take all oh, my bulk at 6 per K.
0: Vegas, maybe. All of room. I'm not going to... You know I'm in New York, right? Yeah, but I'm well, – I'm not bringing 500K
2: bulk to Vegas so you can bring it back to
0: Missouri. You can, like, drop it on the way. You can fly. Oh, what if you rented – What if you rented, like, an 18-wheeler
2: to <laughs> use that to move
0: it? Have I honestly really might
2: my... a small U-Haul pretty easily. I honestly might be interested in just like bringing a bunch of stuff down to you, like maybe next, this coming summer, I might make a trip down to Thomas and like stop at your place on the way and leave the bulk with you and leave a bunch of other picks with Thomas.
3: Yeah. You know, speaking of way. Is,
0: Jim, you cause need to fix your mic. Um, you know, blueprinting's really been the way for shops to go lately. It's, Hey, you do all the work, you alphabetize, you sort, and we'll pay you more so we don't have to pay sorters. Our sorters just take it out of your box and pluck it down in another box. Like, that's the way of the future. I might start looking at that soon, too. I mean, we're not moving even close to as much as Thomas, but just for the stuff that we really need, like, uh, what's that uncommon from Theros that you can stack to get two basic lands?
2: Uh, the, the antler thing? The, the deer? Yeah. yeah I
0: something great right. Man, British we can't card. keep a single one of those cards in stock for either edition. So if you see those in bulk and you're listening, you should pull them, because... Easy money. And they buy us for something too now. Um, anyway, wizards, we just got this announcement today. Shops have known about it for a while. Treasure chests in real life, one in every 33 has a masterpiece or an expedition. It makes Jim happy because he actually plays he actually plays
2: magic on like the rest of us. It wasn't this week. That was like two weeks ago. they well, announced, announced it you announced it. Two weeks ago, and now there's like an updated, uh, yeah, like thing and inf- from piece of information. Like, they officially announced it to like the players now. Yeah, um, it was on the WPN like
4: two weeks ago. Yeah, now it's on like, like the, uh, now, it's the like main,
2: uh, yeah, now it's like a main article on the mothership, like with a lot more details. Announcing standard showdown, uh, stores oversee 40 boosters, 10 for each event, three cards each, uh, one foil, two non foil, rare slash mythic, uh, no oath of the gate watch, which is kind of weird, but whatever. Uh, masterpieces in 1 in 33 boosters, all English, etc., etc. So, yeah. They want to get people back into standard because they screwed the pooch by making standard rotation back.
0: Do you guys think this affects the prices of Mythics at all, or do you think that there's just simply too many players for this to matter? I mean, it affected the
2: price of Gideon, for sure. Well, not, not this specifically, but I mean, like, the rotation change. I thought that's weird. Like so you this, think this specific or no no no, no never mind. I, we're talking about two different things that I messed up. Um, yeah. This, this specifically won't change the price of mythics, I don't think. I don't think there'll be enough supply to matter.
0: Do you still see yourself paying quarters on mythics? Or
2: you have you started dropping them down to dimes? Started dropping them down to dimes and uh like nobody seemed uh frustrated by it. Actually, I've been doing that for about a week or two ever since Lanigan's article came out. I've been playing uh dimes on foil bulk rares and uh bulk mythics and I've been selling my bulk mythics for fifty cents instead of a dollar so I think people have been happier with that.
0: Yep. I agree with you too. I'm looking at doing that as well. Ed is are you have you changed your uh
1: bulk pricing at all? No, not really. Again like we just buy bulk so infrequently mainly because basically every show in the past a uh, few months we've been to, we basically just filled up, like, literally to our weight capacity that we can't, can't really take bulk, so um, if people do come by with bulk, I will occasionally sift through and pull out just all the mythics, and then do. And I will give them the 25 cents instead of the 10 cents, but uh, it's roughly becoming to a point where it's not worth the time to do that, and I'd probably just rather pay 10 cents across the board and say, hey, 10 cents for this entire stack, if there's mythics in there, then so be it.
4: I wrote about the standard treasure chests um, like a week or two ago, and I don't think they're going to be terribly meaningful. Like, I mean, unless the numbers change since the initial WPN announcement, stores are only getting like what, 85 total packs or something like that. Um, So, I mean, as far as mythics, as far as
2: expeditions and masterpiece series goes, my my mic was muted. Um... Stores get 40 packs, and in the original WPN announcement, uh, it said that expeditions and masterpieces were 1 in 50, and now this announcement says 1 in 33.
4: Yeah, yeah, the math I was doing was what, with 1 in 33 because I updated that shortly thereafter. Okay. Um, but the, the short version of this is the amount, even with the 1 in 33 packs, the amount of boosters supplied is only equal to, like, 10 booster boxes worth of masterpieces, which, you know, when an average store is selling to between, what, 300 and 1,000? Uh, booster boxes, I mean, 10 is pretty irrelevant. And 85 packs is not that much. So I don't see how this has a too too big of an impact.
1: I think it has, it has less to do with the actual math itself, and it's more of perspective, right? I think people are going to see that, oh, something as new as masterpieces, and they're already looking at ways to inject more directly into a marketplace. I think that itself is going to have a bigger impact. Um, because behind the booth, I especially noticed, um, it was much more prevalent at Dallas and other ones. People were especially reluctant to buy masterpieces, even though they have been trending downwards. And we had priced them probably at like 80, 80 to 85% of the lowest copy on-, on TCG. And a lot of people, the, the thing I heard the most was a lot of people were saying, that's a good price. I don't know if it's going to come, it's going to drop lower with the treasure chest coming out. So I think that has more to do than, again, any sort of math or reasoning you can, you can do with the numbers.
4: Yeah, I can definitely see how people would have that, that reaction. I wonder – I think that that's completely valid. I wonder if that only plays into a greater perception of these are large-value, long-term cards. They're not something you buy because you need next week. And if anyone's thinking about buying them, they might be keeping an eye on the price and they know that they don't expect prices to shift too dramatically or too rapidly. So they feel like they can kind of wait and see how things go instead of having to buy it today. Um, Because, you know, the price is not going to move like it might for a standard or a modern breakout rare where it'll be a different price tomorrow. Um, So I can see how the chest might add to that perception perhaps. Now, Travis, and
0: Ed, Ed, if you don't want to share this, I would understand. I'm curious on mainly Travis and Doug, as you guys have more chances to speculate on our average listener scale than someone like Adder Jim. What is your plan for this upcoming year when it comes to what do you want to target? Because we have Commander, we have Modern Masters 3, we have who knows what else supplementary products. Well,
2: I, mean, I don't like that argument because we know what other supplementary products we're getting up until like July. And we can pretty much infer... like two or three more uh, throughout the last, like, four months of the year. So, like, we know what we're getting through July, and we can plan around that. So what are we going to target for this year? Uh, I li- I really like obscure mechanics that we already know don't fit into existing paradigms for what they're printing. So I wrote about this in my QS article two weeks ago, but if you pick up cards, like, that only have one, maybe two shots to get reprinted, like, um... Restore like, balance. Infect cards. Like, Restore Balance is my key one, which, like, is obviously a marquee card for me and Travis just because we love it so much. But, like, just to spend in general. Like, when are they going to reprint Um, Infect? It's either Modern Masters 2017 or, like, never. There's, It's not going to be in a Commander set because they can't put it in a Commander deck. It's not going to be in Aether Revolt. It's not going to be in any of the Anthology sets because we know 100% of the cards that are in those. It's probably not going to be an Arch Enemy. Like, I can't see them making an Arch Enemy Infect deck for a 1v3 format like that doesn't seem fair like it's just really really hard for them to find a place for infect and if you like get modern master 17 spoilers and there's no infect cards then you just buy all of the infect cards and you make a bunch of money long term like that and like eldrazi cards um travis and james have been big in eldrazi in the past like thought not seer foils eldrazi displacer foils like these are cards that are implicitly on the reserve list just because they're so hard to reprint and there's hard to find a spot for wizard to just say, okay, we're dumping all of these in this. Um, Good point. I,
4: uh, I am, I feel similarly to Doug on the reprint issue. Although I may be a little less, um, confident in reprintedness, the ability to reprint a card than he is. Um, Every time I've said, "There's no way they could possibly reprint this," uh, I get screwed. So I think a card like Listener Health is, in fact, is in fact tricky to, to reprint. But I, I don't want to put too much stock in that because um, you can really get blown out. Uh, beyond that, um, yeah, he Doug's right. You know, James and I both have been big fan of Eldrazi. Um, they have proven their metal in basically every competitive format. They're cool. They're interesting. Um, so, I like those. I think in general, I'm finding myself a little more attracted to foils than I think I used to be. Um, partially because of the amount of supplementary product we've seen. Most of it tends not to be foil. Um, so, I think foils are a little better insulated, especially foils that are cheap. Um, but mostly, that's kind of where I am right now. I am. I am not uh, aggressive in my purchasing positions at the moment. How about that?
0: Ed, is there anything that Kerwans is looking to target, or is it just the simple mantra of buy low, sell what you can, that you know you can sell?
1: Uh, I haven't really given much thought. I mean, I have given much thought, but in terms of next year, it's just a little bit too far out to, to plan at this point. There's just too many things going on. I'm looking at Chiba, Madrid, and Milwaukee to round out the year, and then once, that gives us a few weeks off for 2017 to kind of plan our course of action. Uh, personally, I think the way I want to approach things is I just want to take like a real shotgun approach and start looking at how how we can slim our margins as much as possible to turn over as much volume as possible. And this is something that I've brought attention to in the past over and over, you just minimize your, um, your margins, if it means you increase your volume. So I like we've been looking at we with the issues with Crystal Commerce in the past. Um, in case any of our viewers aren't aware of it, Crystal Commerce has been really in the crapper in terms of things that they've uh, they've had issues with. Uh, there have been serious problems with eBay syncing with Amazon syncing. Uh, both wanna, just one thing, you might want
2: to explain what Crystal Commerce is to people who don't know.
1: Yeah, so so I guess to really break it down Crystal Commerce is the uh, um, is it taps into the APIs for TCG Player, uh, eBay, Amazon, and it basically provides a platform for vendors to add cards, change prices, and we can sync it through eBay uh, to Amazon wherever we uh, whatever we want. But uh, back to my original point, they've been having some serious problems. They had they changed their servers, and then there were a few days where it went down entirely. And then as things slowly went back online, they just slowly restored functions back to uh, eBay and Amazon. But when I was in Amsterdam this past weekend, I talked with a lot of vendors, and a lot of people have been saying that They don't expect Crystal Commerce to be long for this world in the sense that there's a lot of people working behind the scenes independently trying to come up with a proprietary system um, that does something similar to Crystal Commerce. Obviously, the hard things that people have to tackle are, one, you have to have something that people actually use in some large capacity. Or maybe if it's proprietary, they don't necessarily need to share it. Two, there has to be third party integration. So you have to be able to sync to eBay, to Amazon, to T player. Otherwise, if you're only um, selling through one platform, you're just leaving money on the table. And then third, it has to be something that's user friendly. Um, and from what I've heard, there's a lot of people trying to put work into it. Um, I'd rather not name vendors at this point, mainly because some of this was shared to me in confidence and a lot of, and a lot of people obviously don't want to get this out. Um, But in terms, like, these are just all sorts of dynamics that are kind of happening behind the scenes that makes it very, very difficult to sort of really look at any long-term strategies. So in terms of how this affects us and how this indirectly affects uh, smaller-level vendors out there, like maybe you guys or people who look to uh, do some speculation on the side, um, if we we do see uh, people move away from these commercial platforms it makes it hard because fees, things that we pay, things that ultimately affect our margin, those all need to be worked in in into our business model. Right now, like we're looking at, hey, if we do scrap Crystal Commerce, we do move to maybe a proprietary system that someone else has, or just uh, listening directly through TCG, how much can we cut out on fees? If we're looking to cut out on fees, right, we know exactly what percentage we're getting on a card. On 10 dollar card, we can expect to get roughly eight dollars and 70 cents we know that down to a science and then if is it worth and in anything that we move in large volume i'm almost at the point where rather than trying to fight people and trying to maximize our margins like can i realistically pay like eight dollars and 50 cents make 20 cents per card but turn over a million copies of this card and those are types of things that i probably want to be focusing on going in 2017 because honestly i think that's the only way to do it um, at our level because i can't reliably expect things like foils or um some of these more narrow specs i can't expect to realistically wait two to three years like you guys can um again because i I just have to operate on a different model and i have to operate uh and scale to size so and
0: that's why we have him on the cast ladies and gentlemen because he knows what he's talking about so, yeah, uh, speculating-wise, I'm going all-in on Soul Rings because we'll probably be sold out by January. And Chromatic Lantern. Arbitrage has never been greater, and Hariguya severely underpriced about half of their Commander card. I am
2: so jealous of that goddamn shopping cart that you had.
0: Well, I also got Deep Skate. What what the hell is that thing called? Deep Glow
2: Skate, I think.
0: 400 yen each. Uh, they're yeah, selling I, for $10 in the States. Like,
2: I was just not... On the ball in looking at the international markets. And so I missed out on a huge, huge money making opportunity.
4: I used to check harder for casual specs. Like once every two months, month, I would spin through and see what interesting had popped up. But once the exchange rate flattened out, I stopped paying attention.
0: Yeah, that's why I just sort of was, I had missed like saying hi to the Haru you guys in Dallas and I was like, I wonder what their pricing is. Oh, all their standard stuff is not good with the exchange rate. Let's look at every commander set they've ever come out with. Oh, Solemn Simulacrum is 200 yen and I sell those for four and we keep selling out. Yeah, that seems fine. Um, uh, Cage Sun sells for 220 yen or something like, yeah, we saw them for five. That seems fine.
4: Now I want to point out: Are these uh, English or Japanese copies? These were English.
0: I bought English. all their chromatic lanterns that were Japanese for a hundred and fifty yen each, and I'll just put them on the shelf for three dollars each because uh, it's mid Missouri. People actually hate foreign cards, but I figure it doesn't hurt to just basically almost double up on just foreign cards or foreign people. people.
4: Oh my god! Um, I want to uh, highlight for our non-chomp owning listeners out there that I never buy
0: foreign cards.
4: Yeah, Yeah. I have dealt with foreign cards, uh, more than I wish I had. So unless you know damn well where you are selling that foreign card, do not bother with it. Like really cool Japanese foils or Russian foils you find them for a reasonable price i guess but that's not going to happen but non-foil foreign casual cards don't bother unless it's for yourself or it's literally one tenth the cost of the american copy yeah.
2: even half price is not worth it
0: they had it's, english it's really copy. hard to like
2: find outs for those like you have to go into like a black market or something to find it out for those
4: no i mean they had english copies of command tower for <laughs> i had and... a lot of japanese copies of black market that i got burned on because i couldn't the, sell the, them the joke. commander
0: Reaper. Ah, oh, okay
4: but Harivia
0: had 92 copies of Command Tower at 50 yen each. They had Japanese ones at like 10 yen each or something. Like, it was stupid. I picked up every single Tryland that they had at 10 yen each. Like, that doesn't hurt either. So, yeah. Jim, you're muted. Jim's headset's just not working today, just like most of uh, Florida things. Let's try this
4: again. Like we wish it never did.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if Jim's audio is gonna work. Oh, it's always lovely on cartel aristocrats. Um but yeah, like
3: no reason- you can hear me now, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I I unplugged my headphones and then I didn't reset the input that I was using. Well, so we're all what ears I, wanted now- to say, I just wanted to say that one yen is about one penny right now. Yep. For anyone that was really confused, like, what's 200 yen in real dollars? Uh, that's $2. They're yep. worth about, a, it, one yen is about a penny. So you're paying 50 cents on Command Towers.
0: Like, that doesn't seem like a bad idea. You're paying 10 cents on Japanese ones and, like, 10 cents on lands Doesn't seem like a bad idea. Worst case, I throw them in the 50-cent box. So, fun times.
1: It's also learning um, that the euro and pound have almost also leveled out. It's almost one-to-one-to-one, to one to one, like, almost entirely across the board. I think yeah. the euro is up 0.92 of a dollar, and the pound is, like, a little bit less. So, very interesting to kind of see the market and how cards... Some vendors are really just priced out of the market because they can't deal with the currency exchange rate, especially between the British vendors and the European vendors.
3: What about the Canadian ones? So, they, I, I know, I think it's Wizard's, Wizard's Tower, Tower. They go ham.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Siddow. Oh, God, I'm going to butcher another name on the cast. Jeff Sadaski or something on Twitter. He's the head buyer for Wizards Tower. Uh, He's pretty active on explaining their method if you talk to him on Twitter. Now, yeah, will you be able to contact him through whatever last name he has? Because I can't say anyone's names. Probably not. But I think we all follow him. So you should be able to find it from our Twitter lists. Uh, They have the most interesting method where... And I wrote about this, and we've talked about this. Like, mm-hmm. they buy a card, they put it in their system, they can see right away exactly how many cards are in their system. They have electronic buy boards, so they can reprice anytime they want. It's just a very good method. And then they pay occasionally, like a dollar on really insane stuff that, like TCG's TCG is fifty cents on for some reason.
4: I, th- I thought those electronic buy boards were kind of crazy and a waste of money when I first saw them. But I realized the cost of that whole setup is probably less than they make in a single GP and well worth the cost after a few events.
2: I mean, everyone knows people to the to the table too.
0: Yeah. It looks professional. They also have like their paper sheets. Like one of the things Matt had written about, um, I'm just going to say lewd finance here. Now lewd finance here had written about was that th- only three vendors had a buy board. At Dallas, and like one had a printed out sheet, and the rest just didn't have anything, which is weird to see. Apparently, it was in his article today, so I don't know. Interesting times. I know Kerwan had like a sharpie board, so you guys had something,
1: yeah. Uh, after Indianapolis, when I tried shipping RTV, I on the way back, they just completely obliterated RTV, so uh. Yeah, so apparently everyone else was not too happy with me. I don't really know how it was my fault when UPS had literally thrown the box. The corner of the box basically came back like this. So uh, that, that's why we had to resort to using a Sharpie. Uh, I briefly considered just running to Walmart and buying a TV for the weekend and then shamelessly returning it at the end of the weekend, but uh, that didn't quite come to fruition in Dallas. But yeah. That, uh, that be, sorry, that being said, I do think. Uh, Going just TVs, electronic billboards, whatever are going to be the way of the future. It just looks much cleaner. It's much easier to change prices. It just looks more professional. Uh, we see more and more vendors do it. It, it used to be only uh, Wizards Tower doing it with their ridiculous setup, which I originally I thought was ridiculous, but I realized like this is incredibly effective. And then Harley started doing it. We started doing it, and I imagine like probably by the end of two thousand seventeen, more than half the vendors will be uh, adding a TV to their GP kit.
2: Does Isle of Cards using... do something similar? Like Isle of Cards slash Card Hoarder do something similar? Are you asking me? I- I'm asking whoever knows. Like I'm pre- like I talk Both. a lot about Isle of Cards slash Card Hoarder on uh, my articles because they have a really really strong uh, microbialist, But I just Isle have never of
0: cards or whoever was at Washington D.C. It was either Heath Heath's team with um, MTG MTGO traders. Is that who he runs?
2: Yes, it was either I, them or Isle um, Cards had a card hoarder. MTGO traders are different, I think, because carder no. MTGO traders is all the MTG. That's what I'm saying.
0: No, no, no. MTGO traders is Heath Newton. Um, either him or card hoarder, whoever was vending GPDC when Star City hosted it, had a sweet, clean electronic buy, buy board. Okay. Because they're right next to Thomas and uh, Harry, yeah. Um yeah i like the electronic buy boards a lot they look really nice um plus the prices that you see on them are pretty shocking sometimes um as long as they keep up with prices like you'll be fine as and like that's the advantage is being able to change prices right away compared to like when thomas accidentally put thought for 20 on his buy list and like people took copies and he bought 200 copies of thought like in two or three hours this is like back at the end of theros and then, like, people just kept coming with the buy list and saying, well, you're paying 20 you know, give me 20 And he's like, uh, you know, that dilemma. So it's always interesting. All right, so let's move on. So we've got um, Ether Revolt coming up. Anyone want to go ahead and guess the masterpieces besides, like, Engineered Explosives, which sounds like it would
2: fit? In Snaring Bridge?
3: Maybe I don't know how it'd fit on Kawadesh. I don't know how it'd
2: be like.
3: I think they could put Arc Brown Ravager in there. Like I'd be, I'd be not surprised to see the rest of the Affinity Rares. Um, like I wouldn't be surprised to see Arc Brown Ravager Edge Champion. Um... Is there a Steel
2: Overpiece ma- Overseer Masterpiece already or not?
3: Yes, there is. It came out in the last set. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, the last set had Overseer and Moxopal, so I would not be surprised to see Arcbound Ravager, maybe Master of Ethereum, maybe Welding uh, Jar. Welding Jar. Ornithopter. Yeah,
2: Ornithopter.
3: I mean, Ornithopter is a lock, right? No matter I, what
2: playing they always invent the
3: Ornithopter. I'm pretty sure they're not going to put anything that's not a rare or a mythic. Lightning Greaves. Um, yeah,
0: but that was sorry, like an you know, actual card. Sensei's top. Yeah, no, but like. Oh God! If we get. So top,
3: there's top, there's two uncommons. Sensei's Divining Top is not a masterpiece. Maybe, uh, no, if we get Sensei's no, Divining Top, i saying Sensei's
2: Top could be a masterpiece.
0: Yeah. How would they spin that though? You know, I'm not quite sure. Oh fuck
3: you! <laughs> fuck you! <sighs> I don't know. I wrote a list of like things that I thought could be masterpieces. It wouldn't surprise me if they just have like some big dumb casual things. Like what's the most expensive Dark Steel EDH?
2: Colossus?
3: Like I no, the most expensive
2: part I'm just like,
3: Blight like Steel. yeah. Blight Steel Colossus might be a thing. I don't know. It's hard yeah, to it's put like, infect on like
2: because like all the masterpieces exist on Kaladesh. And I know, like, that there. Are, I know rings of bright hearth, blah, blah 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 blah, but like, it's hard to put infect like on a card in Kaladesh. I feel like. Well, I would be amazed if we don't see Sensei's
4: Divining Top, especially since they paid for that new art for Eternal Masters already.
3: Uh, well, they're gonna do new artwork again anyway. Yeah, I guess they probably would. They wouldn't do the same artwork on a masterpiece. Well.
4: They probably wouldn't. I'll give I'll give you that. They probably wouldn't. But I mean, in any case, you're not gonna see anything as interesting as you did the first one. There's no Monovault or soul Ring or uh, Monocrypt left to do, right? I mean the only other good artifacts that are that are all that are go would be especially pricey um are reserve list. So it's engineered and chalice, I would guess, are might be your biggest ones.
0: I think we get engineered is pretty good too. And staring bridge.
1: I um, see some what? casual ones like memory jar. No, memory
0: page?
3: jar's the reserve list.
0: Memory jar's reserve list. <laughs> yep, I one hundred percent know that memory jar is on the reserve list.
3: It's the same reason why they can't do green monolith or Metalworker either. Yeah, Which Jeremy knows it's reserve level.
4: list because he has reserved a list of them.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I, I own about one percent of the reserve list copies
0: of memory jar from from the vault. So. What about yep. Grafdigger's Cage?
3: No, I doubt it. That's uh, a really awkward card to reprint. I don't think they do Cage like. I know it has like
2: Grafdigger's kind of references in specifically, but I don't know.
0: A Coalition not- Relic, I would love to see.
4: Coalition Relic, I, yeah. definitely plausible. It's not the referencing of Estrad; it's the fact that it's just a hate card. It's not really interesting.
2: Sure.
3: Do you think they could do like? I mean, so, as insnaring bridges,
2: it's super interesting, either, right? It's expensive. Uh,
4: I would say it's marginally more interesting, but yeah, I I get your point. What about Quicksilver
3: Amulet? Oh that, god, that's no. a good one. That card that sells like crazy,
0: one. but I don't know anyone that would want to just buy a or like open one of those. Like, that's a great casual card, but if you reprint this, doesn't seem like anyone would ever want that. So that's just my opinion.
4: Um, Nobody said that about uh, like a quarter of the masterpieces and also several of the expeditions. Did we predict any of them correctly? I don't even remember. I'd have to go back and listen to some of those casts. Reprint any of what? The masterpieces?
3: Did we call any of the masterpieces that got reprinted? I don't think we had time to do that. Like they came out the day after the announcement. They announced them all within like a week. Yeah. So, with
0: Masterpieces moving forward, are cards going to be worth anything in Standard? Like, Kaladesh has been going down ever since it was insane EV to pop after the PT as usual, but are we, is Kaladesh and, consequentially, Ether Revolt going to turn in the next battle for Zendikar? When you have, mm. like, one card over $10? But
2: Kaladesh has a bunch of good cards, though. BFC has Gideon and, like, a bunch of useless crap. So like I feel like Kaladesh's actual good cards can uh, can float at least a little bit above BFC. I'm
4: gonna I'm gonna do two really two points really quick. A uh, Doug is completely right. Kaladesh actually had good cards. Battle for Zendikar might have been a red herring because this actually wasn't very interesting. And B the change in MTGO redemption may end up counteracting the entire uh, masterpiece series um, effect. And C,
0: I like Travis's strategy of Eldric Moon cards because they didn't have masterpieces and all the cards are still holding relatively well a year Deploy later. Deploy the Gatewatch one day. Yeah, Deploy I wish.
2: Day.
0: One day. Not today, not tomorrow, but one day. Come on, Saffron Olive. We just need one brew.
2: He already, he already did the deck tech for it. He already made like a Deploy the Gatewatch brew for standard. Oh. That was like six months ago.
0: Um... So do you guys see anything happening with the state of modern right now? Or like, are you guys stocking up on Punishing Fire, Bloodbraid Elf, or you think Frontier's a real thing even? Because, you know, Reddit is Star all over balance. Frontier.
4: Three-star balance.
0: <laughs> Reddit was all over Frontier, but at the same time, Reddit also thought Tiny Leaders was a format. So
2: I mean you think really about Frontier? Available. Frontier will be a format four years from now, and then you'll we'll have a bunch of people on Reddit saying, gee, I told you it was a format all along. And it's like, well, okay, yeah.
4: Sure. The, the the core problem with Frontier, at least from our strictly from a financial perspective, no other considerations was is it that there's too many cards. There's too many cards. Even if Wizards rolled out official support for the format, there's still there's no cards with on short supply. So it's going to be very tough to make a lot of money. Only a incredibly small minority of cards in that format will change enough in price to make anyone any money. And you're not gonna make any money at all without Wizards backing it formally. People are gonna point to 93, 94, but keep in mind that like, what was the print run on like the Dark? Right? It was probably one seventieth, one in seventy of a modern set. I would guess it's in that neighborhood.
0: I think it's I think it's a higher fraction. I think it's like one in a hundred.
4: I, I totally believe that.
0: Yeah. Um. So if Frontier is a thing, and we're just hypothetically juggling this question. Is there a single card that you want to pick up? Jayspring's prodigy.
4: Yeah, that's what I was going to say.
0: Isn't that a target already that we're all targeting in trade? Exactly.
4: Yep. yep. I
3: all mean, right. if, you, if you wanted to pick up a slightly less expensive card, I think Rally Your Ancestors is just also going to be stupid busted. Hey, that's actually
0: a really good one. I didn't think about that. Apparently the deck is everywhere right now. I really haven't kept up on Frontier. My players haven't asked for it at all. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to keep my mind out for Rally the Ancestors going forward. Um, I've also seen that card in Ally EDH decks, so it's just something to keep in mind, on top of Patriarch's bidding. How about uh, Face Reward? Oh yeah, you got uh, destroyed on that.
2: Uh,
0: oh, one more thing, super cheap super cheap Japanese prices, Aroas was 200 yen, it was 2 bucks per Aroas, and I bought them out. They still have Japanese copies for a dollar forty, I think. So, yeah. Sorry that you guys have to listen to uh, Doug's smoke alarm and him shuffling cards because he never remembers to mute. But, yep, that's the cast we're going with. Let's go ahead and go into pick of the week. You know, we've been talking about potentially speccing in the future what's definitely good to hold on to because it probably won't get reprinted. But what are the cards you guys are looking to pick up to? Hang on. You know, one
2: more card for Frontier. If this formats a thing in four years, painful truths.
0: Eh. I'm not that big
2: on
3: that card. It's I mean, okay, but... So, the thing about Painful Truths is it's probably not going to get banned, but if they ever make it a real format, Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise will get banned, so it'll probably be the only card that draws any cards. That's because you can Torrential Gearhulk into those, right? You can't uh, Torrential no, Gearhulk into uh, Treasure Cruise. You can do it with Dig Through Time, but they're both just busted because dredges is... or not Dredge. Uh, Delve is not a, like... Reasonable mechanic, and yes,
4: you can torrential gear Hulk them. So you can play them for their
2: cheated cost. Gear Hulk Cruise, Cruise is a sorcery. Yep, he's right. Torrential Gear Hulk only hits instance treasure. Cruise is a sorcery.
0: Yep. Um. All right, let's segue into pick of the week. Doug, what are you going with this week? What do you
2: got for us? Uh, that is an excellent question. Oh, my God. Look at this amateur. I just had to do, like, two picks of the week for Brainstorm Brewery. Come on. So just use the same one. Who cares? All right. I'll, I'll steal Corbin's because <laughs> this cast comes out sooner, so it'll make me look like I'm smarter than him. There you go. All right. So uh, Lantern Control has been popping. I can't do a Corbin impression. I kind of wanted to, but I can't do one. Um, lantern Control has been Marfa, popping up more. Wild Wings. <laughs> <laughs> more recently in uh, MTGO results. And so one of the uh, more easily accessible cards in that deck is Pipping Needle at $2. And it's gotten like four printings in the past 15 years, um, one of which is 10th edition, Saviors so those kind of don't count, and then M10 and Return to Ravnica. And if this deck picks up in popularity, because the deck's like $400 to build, it just has like Bridges, uh, Mox, Opals, and Glimmer Voids, and that's kind of it. Um pitting needles two dollars, it could easily spike to like four or five over the next weekend. So I picked this first, Corbin didn't uh he's not gonna listen to this cast, so he can't disprove me otherwise.
3: All right, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lay it out right now. It's gonna be an invention and you're gonna get blown out.
4: I don't I see mean, how that card getting printed as an invention and changes that math.
0: And it's not like you even if know it does that. get reprinted, Doug's still not gonna Doug will still make a profit if it gets reprinted. Like the fact that it would get reprinted as a masterpiece won't needle him at all, so
3: I think you'll be fine. Your point, Jeremy. You're the worst. You know that? Like, <laughs> I just can't stand you sometimes. It's okay. Uh, Ed, do you
0: have a pick, or are you just sort of, oh, I'm Mr. Finance Guy. Bye, 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 sell, sell, sell. Uh,
1: I feel like the time to go heavy on Eldritch Moon cards is going to be very, very soon. It's becoming hard and harder to keep those cards in stock. Uh, it was a very, very... It suffers from the traditional Somerset uh, syndrome that we've seen uh, prior to them doing the rotation. It was just opened in such a short period of time. I think someone said it was only available to be open slash drafted for like 60 days or something, if even that, which is a very, very short time, even by most short set standards. So looking at things like uh, Grimflare, Gisela, Emrakul those cards seem like they have a lot of longevity and they realistically are all going to be three to four ofs um, in a competitive standard deck. And if that does happen, then we can expect a serious spike to happen uh, on those cards. Um, probably around springtime, uh, that's kind of the, probably the sweet point when people are going to be needing them to play standard and there's enough lifespan left in those cards that people are probably still willing to buy them at an inflated price especially with Grim Flare, since it has applications in Modern as well.
4: I am a big fan of Grim Flare. James and I discussed that on Fast Finance a while ago. Um, I will stick with the Eldritch Moon uh, grouping and go with uh, Foil Blessed Alliance. Um, this card was very popular at uh, the Star City Open this past weekend. It wasn't like four ofs in, in decks, but like lots of decks for running copies of it. Uh, foils are like four to five bucks right now and it has a pretty good modern appeal i think um and you know you look at other popular uncommons in modern foil popular foil uncommons um that are newer and they're not four and five dollars um so that's a card i can see quietly ticking up and you can probably score these for really cheap at your local stores
2: and in binders because not many people are really going to put much of a price tag on it that's another card we talked about on Brainstorm Brewery, and the uh, the non foils of pick as well. You can if you find them in bulk. Is like people pick Eldritch Moon and they take out like a few couple cards, like the uh, the Lightning Strike or whatever, but they don't take out Blessed Alliance. It's like forty cents in a buy list. Yeah, I mean, I can
4: definitely see the if Blessed Alliance was a quarter uh, to purchase, I could see stocking up on those because you could probably end up listing them for yeah a dollar down the road. But- I would not want to buy
0: an uncommon for four to five dollars if it's already four to five. Like, there's a difference between picking the foils. Yeah, on four to five bucks for a foil, no thanks.
2: You hate Um, foils, though, so you're biased.
3: Yeah, I I still don't really think that like people don't really play that many copies of them. Even the people that play them in modern don't play that many of them. So, for a standard legal uncommon, I'm kind of agreeing with Jeremy. I don't think it's particularly great if it's
0: already four to five dollars like there's very low chance that your spec pays off like there's a difference between finding these in a 50 cent box and be like sweet i made f- some free money and like actually going hard on these
4: um, Well, i'm not I'm just not a fan i'm not advocating people go to tcg player and stock up up too late yeah that's exactly it.
0: that um i'm a big fan of lurking predators this was just reprinted and it was a five dollar card Hiryuuya had them at $0.30 each. They're no longer available at $0.30 each. Uh, TCG was as low as $0.40 at one point. They're no longer $0.40 anymore. This is a card that's proven itself in casual play. It'll go right back up.
3: So that's what I'm going with. So I've been doing a lot of research on modern cards because I write for a site that caters to modern players. Modern Nexus, baby. Yep. And I think that we're going to slowly, probably at the end of this year, might be the cheapest time you can buy Red shock lands in the next two or three years. Because if we get a reprint of, of Zendikar fetches like within the next year after that, it starts to make it so that the bottleneck is no longer going to be the fetches because we have the Konzantarker ones and then you know, we'll have the higher supply for the newer ones that should probably be here in the next year or so. Um, Red Shocklands are the ones that are most often played in the most copies. So, uh, Stomping Ground, for example, gets played as a four of in a lot of decks, like the Valakid decks, and it gets played as two or three of in Burn, usually, and then, you know, uh, other decks play it, and Sacred Foundry is the same way, they're already one of the better performing ones. So, I'm really a big proponent of, if you don't have your Shocklands at this point, like, I... Steam Vents has never been worse in Modern, than it has been in a long time and those are so much cheaper than they probably should be.
0: Okay. Well let's go ahead and wrap this up. Where can people find you?
3: Uh you can find me
2: killing myself because the person who I bought this collection from double sleeve their cards like haphazardly in different ways. So half this collection is double sleeved like card going in this way and half of it's going double sleeved card going in this way. So this is just going to be a miserable next few hours for me, and it's awful. But you can, find me, on, um, you can find me on QS every Thursday. Uh, my article from two weeks ago is very good, and it talks a lot about what I talked about this week with uh, the fear of reprints and the implicit reserve list. Um, you can find me on Brainstorm Brewery every Friday usually. That was it. That's all I got. Unless you wanted to bring out like my blood type and like my home address or like.
4: I mean, Jimmer is supposed to go next. He knows that.
3: Yeah, I know. I just I I was typing. Sorry. You didn't tell people where to find you on League of Legends. Did you quit?
2: No, I didn't quit. Corbin quit though, because Corbin doesn't think that I can't one v one him, and he's scared to one v one me in League. So if Corbin listens to this, which I know he won't. If you listen to this, go tell Corbin to 1v1 me on League.
4: Oh, my God. I could not care less about this.
3: I, I, I totally agree. I'm sorry I brought it up. Uh, my name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Twitter at P-H-R-O-S-T underscore. Go ahead, Ed.
1: Uh, I'm Ed. You guys can find me at Edwin13 on Twitter at Corbin's Game Store. We have no more shows for the rest of the year, but I will be in... Madrid, Chiba, and Milwaukee if anyone wants to come by and say hi.
4: And I am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard B-U-M-P-I-N. B-U-M-P-I-N. I write on M T G price most Mondays now. And I also do MTG Fest Finance.
0: And I'm Zemet Sales Magic. You can find me on Twitter at Zemet Sales Magic. You can find me on YouTube at like the Zemet. Uh, I think I have two articles coming out
4: later this week on state of finance. Mm-hmm. Is your phone But Are you getting messages? Oh, yeah. Just- I, I yeah actually, I That's not me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, sorry. I literally just took my phone Everyone back
4: turned my... out in your microphone, he says, as his phone buzzes constantly.
0: Oh, it's almost like there's... As we tell him every, s- tell as
4: stuff. Tell you every single week to stop putting your phone next to your microphone. Yeah.
0: Um. Anyway, I tell you a joke about chemistry or sodium, but... Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I want to get a reaction, so I guess my answer is just, nah. <laughs>
3: Job. Thanks for watching
0: Cartel aristocrats cast number 32. We'll see you guys hopefully next week and as always, have a good day.